Welcome in to Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in Cincinnati. Also, Mike Quinn on the show today. Our NFL Week 4 and College Football Week 5 preview, our prospect primer. And, buddy, do we have interviews. Deuce Vaughn, dynamic Kansas State running back. Drake London, USC wide receiver. And Mike Renner's favorite guy in the college football right now, Tanner McKee from Stanford, all on the show today. Let's get it. an early buzz it was an absolutely phenomenal morning for pff richard sherman podcast debuted with his announcement episode joining the tampa Bay buccaneers official co-worker of pro football focus richard sherman. Oh, rich yeah i see him around the office all the time he's a great guy great guy also adam schefter dropping a bomb nine figure valuation for pff big shout out to us expanding to other sports big shout out to silver lake and the investment works out mill we're getting how much for that we're we getting again 80 percent Oh, yeah. I mean, that's how big the tailgate brand's risen over the past couple of months. They've dumped over 40 mil into tailgate, which, I mean, is not enough, in my opinion. Barely covers Mike Quinn's salary. But I mean, that covers, what, one weekend of the tailgate podcast? Probably just covers this weekend. Yeah. This weekend, heading to Cincinnati at Notre Dame. Cincinnati's still a two-point favorite in that game. I think I'm going to be taking a little natty. I'm wearing the Travis Kelsey jersey up there, not wearing Notre Dame gear, which you love to see. On this show, we're going to do the NFL preview, prospect primer, mailbag, and trivia on the back end with the interviews with Deuce Vaughn, Drake London, Tanner McKee. Let's start with Thursday night football. The Jacksonville Jaguars are 0-3, 0-3 against the spread, and probably the most shit-on team of any team in Week 3 right now in terms of people hating on Aaron Meyer, not liking the start for Trevor Lawrence, the supporting cast stinks, defensively they can't stop anyone, and they are 7.5-point dogs on the road Thursday night, a game we'll both be at, um, against the Cincinnati Bengals. Are you even touching the Jags at plus 7.5? Because I'm starting to get interested. Some key injuries here. Saw Chidobe Awuzie, doubtful. Justin Simmons out. T. Higgins out. Is that enough for you to start to sprinkle a little Jesse cheddar? Bates out. Jesse Bates out. Or I said Justin Simmons, excuse me. Jesse Bates out. Or is this enough for you to sprinkle a little Cheddar Bay biscuit on the seven and a half? Seven and a half is a lot in an NFL game. To, to, say, to say that a game will be a more than one score game. And yes, I know eight points is quote unquote one score, but I like to look at it as one and a half scores in an eight point game because a two point conversion is about half as likely as an extra point. Wow. So that's a one and a half score game. So a one-and-a-half score a game for a team that has had totals of, what is it, 17, 24, and 27 this year. An offense that has not been great in the Cincinnati Bengals offense. So you're saying that you are, feel certain that without Jesse Bates, you will hold Trevor Lawrence, who has looked a little bit better at times, to under 20 points. I don't know. I just don't know. And we, got, we had people shitting on us for saying that we don't believe in the Bengals running game because, I mean, we don't. <laughs> their interior offensive line has been you know, that good yeah. still. And yeah, I know that Joe Mixon's second in the league in rushing because they run him a lot. Yeah. Like that's a lot of the guys who are high in the league in rushing are the guys who get the most attempts. But they are 21st in success rate and 22nd in EPA per run in the NFL. It's not a good run game still. No. And I, I, mean, get they, it, and I get they had better than better results than expected against the Steelers. The Steelers are also down three stars or three guys along the defensive line. So I still don't trust the running game to be we can take over on the ground. It's no, it could be a nice 
aspect, but they're still going to have to win through explosive plays through the air. I mean, efficiency is what you need to look for when yes. you're looking at a rushing attack. And yeah. you're ranking outside the top 20 in EPA per rush. I don't care how many early down carries you give Joe Mixon and these total rushing figures. That's not going to speak to the success you've had on the ground. So far, looking at PFF Greenline, which you can get access to with an elite subscription, 60% of the cash so far bet on this game is on Cincinnati, and 71% of the tickets or the individual bets are also on the Cincinnati Bengals. But I think I'm leaning Jacksonville Jaguars for their first against the spread win. Why? It's a 45 and a half total. It's a 45 and a half total. This game is going to be low scoring. Like you said, a lot of the money is already on the under. If this game total stays under 45, around 40, it's going to be so hard for this Bengals team to keep Trevor Lawrence and company to three or 10 points. Like that is going to be difficult. I'm leaning Jacksonville Jaguars to cover the spread and Cincinnati Bengals to win this game. I am as well. Let's go. If they don't, if they don't, I think we have to do a public apology and never back the Jags again. I, yeah, I probably (laughs) should stop backing the Jags even with that. But yeah, uh, we will do a public apology. Shall that happen? All righty. All right. So on to the next game we have here. Um, Falcons or no football team at Falcons. I've got, I was on a Washington DC radio hit. And so much of D.C. right now is upset at the start of this defense. They rank 32nd in scoring drive percentage allowed. 59% of the drives Washington football team has got against this year, they've allowed scores. Going against the Falcons, and they're only one-and-a-half-point favorites on the road. This is a bounce-back week for uh, Taylor Heineke, a bounce-back week for this defensive line. They need to show up this week. This needs to be as dominant as the perception of this football team was, you know, right after they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick and felt this defense was going to take them to the Super Bowl. Or if the Falcons cover this number or win, you know, outright win this game, I mean, I am like, the panic button is literally smashed through the turf for the Washington football team because that, this is an unacceptable loss, in my opinion, even on the road. Yeah, this is the definition of, or should be the definition of, a get right game. Yes. For this football team defense. If you can't shut down this goddamn Falcons attack, it's one and a half point dogs. If you can't go in there and put a hurt on this Falcons team, it's never turning around. You're SOL. You are out of it in the East, in my humble opinion. Shall that be the case? Which I don't think is going to be the case. Because the defense line, for as much as they've gotten shit on the whole team, I think the defense line is still <laughs> making an impact on every single game. It's just the miscommunications and the sort of lack of quality play, shall we say, in the secondary that has been the issue, I guess, back seven because you got to throw John Boskin and linebackers in there as well. So the Falcons, though, don't attack down the football field. You know, they're not they haven't been testing corners. They haven't been testing safeties all year. That just hasn't been their game. And especially in this one, they're not going to have the time to do it either. I don't believe so. Yeah, this one, that's one of that's one of my favorite lines of the week. Yeah, it's a road uh, fave, but I still like. So I'll say this. I don't think it's one of my favorite lines of the week. I like the football team to cover, but it's been such a disaster to start that on the yeah, road, yeah, I, I could see this being the first game Matt Ryan actually completes a pass over 20 yards downfield. <laughs> like it could be, it could be, you know, yeah, William Jackson has given up a handful of plays this year. Like that's what it's, you know, when you look at lines and one this tight, when everyone, I think preseason, if they saw this line, you know, week four in the NFL preseason, they would be like, oh, is it not three, four, five? I mean, this I should so. be. I mean, the Falcons were thought of better than. I guess though, both teams have underperformed yeah, expectations. Under- no, These fair. are two of the most disappointing teams in the NFL right now. I have one more question on this game before we jump. Is this, you know, when you talk about this conservative passing attack, you want Matt Ryan, like, fucking working at car insurance prices right now. Does Kyle Pitts actually play well this week or get targeted? I'm asking for as a fantasy football owner and also 
a draft nut, you know, that called Kyle. You said Kyle Pitts would be the first tight end to get over a thousand yards since you know what Butkus or Ditka or whatever the fuck. Mike Ditka. Ditka. Did I did I say that? I think you did no, say, I didn't that. say that. I still think he should. He's still got seventeen games. You still got, and he's at one hundred thirty nine yards. You extrapolate that; it's not even close. I get that, but. They've What's your also, opinion of his usage so far? I've yeah. been unimpressed. I mean, we talked man. about that. It's it's not been ideal, but again, some of that might just be because like because Matt Ryan's not attacking down the football field. Like you, maybe they're not using him there because shit, they know that that's not where the offense is going right now. So I I am curious to see how the Falcons' offense evolves as the season goes on, how Pitt's usage evolves because only fifteen targets to three games is not quite what I expected with the rest of the talent on that roster, but. I think if you're going to do it this game, like I said, John Bostic is a is a good matchup for Kyle Pitts, a six foot linebacker with a limited wingspan. I'd be targeting him all game. So if it doesn't happen in this one, I don't have. I'm not super enthused that's going to happen at any point this year. Yeah, I think a lot of people are disappointed in Kyle Pitts' production. You know, so far this season, I think a lot of people similarly are disappointed in Calvin Ridley's production to start the season. Before we get to our next game here, week three of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week four with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick an whoa, to kick off another action-packed week, DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly. When they bet $1 on any football game, listen up because you don't want to miss this. On the Tailgate Podcast, you are getting offers from DraftKings, $150 with this promo code. You have to do it. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That is promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey. Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana. 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Texans at Bills. Bills favored by 16 and a half right now. This number has actually gotten down to 16 uh, according to PFF's Green Line product betting dashboard there with consensus lines. 60% of the cash on Buffalo, 60% of the tickets on Buffalo to cover the 16 point spread at home against Davis, the neck mills. Yeah, this is a hold your nose to just take it like 16 and a half. What? Take the bills. <laughs> oh. like it's going to be, it's, you're going to, it's a ton of fucking How often points. Do you provide that feedback. <laughs> hold your nose and just take it. Okay. I mean, that's, that's what it is. You just got, you're got, it's a lot of points, but my God, the Texans like with the, rookie starting quarterback against the Bills defense that's played very well but also you know three games in they played the Steelers the football team and uh the Dolphins with the backup quarterback so so they have not played world beaters but you're playing also not a world beater so Mm -hmm. I think they're going to throw down on this Texas roster not much really talk about there's no part of me not a single bone in my body that wants to bet on Davis Mills again Letting me down on Thursday Night Football against Carolina Panthers. All I was asking for was one over one and a half touchdowns at plus 185. I will not be sitting during the 1 o'clock or 10 o'clock slate on the West Coast praying that Davis Mills covers a plus 16 spread. I won't. I'm betting the Bills at minus 16. They're the better team objectively. Mm-hmm. It's gotten bet down from 16 and a half to 16. Maybe you wait and see if there's late money on the Texans and Davis Mills. But... If you have to bet on this game, I'm taking the Bills right now. It's also a game that I might avoid. I don't like you know betting these big spreads here. Um, but I think right now, Green Line doesn't have an edge on either side. I'm taking Buffalo, though, like you said, holding my nose and taking it. Now on to... You're going to like the way that feels. <laughs> Lions at Bears. Bears favored by two and a half. Just two and a half. 
Just two and a half? Did we watch the Bears last week? I mean, I'm, I'm, well, did you watch the Lions all season? <laughs> they almost beat the Ravens. There should have beat the Ravens. I guess that's fair. But I this mean, Ravens in okay. multiple, mul- multiple points of that game could have blown, I mean, really put that game away. Right. I wrote down my deciding factor here for every game. And people are saying, oh, you know, Justin Fields is going to be a much easier matchup this week. And it is. Browns defense is a lot better. But this Lions pass rush is for real. Romeo Aquara. Julian Aquara. Still playing very well. Julian Aquara last week coming in sub packages looked great. Trey Flowers. They are seventh in the NFL in pass rushing grade. Team pass rushing grade. Like they can get after opposing quarterbacks still. And anyone can get after fucking opposing quarterbacks when you're playing the Chicago Bears. So uh, I still don't think it's going to be great for Justin Fields. And I don't trust, I almost said Jim Nagy, Matt Nagy to adjust. And everyone and their mother is saying, oh, you know, Fields, we're trying to make excuses for Fields. Oh, he, he played like shit, but also he wasn't put in a great situation with his skill set to play well. I don't trust that either to change over the course of one week. I, it really didn't necessarily matter who he was facing last week. It wasn't going to have good results. It wasn't just that you played the Browns. It was he was playing poor football. I think a lot of people have discussed on Twitter this week. It's something we haven't commented on a ton about, you know, who was more at fault? Was it Matt Nagy? Was it Justin Fields? I think you can honestly say it's completely fair to say both played like ass. I mean, I mean, both did not turn in great performances, yeah. Nagy and Justin Fields. Matt Nagy could catch a dot ball that hit him in the chest if you want. <laughs> um, but for the Bears here, looking at PFF's betting dashboard, we actually have an edge on it at two and a half. It's also gotten stretched out to three. There's not a lot of reason to bet on the Chicago Bears outside of just having more faith in them preseason. They also have... Um, well, I mean, if if Andy Dalton were playing, I'd bet on the Bears there. Yeah. You know, like if Andy... I don't know who's going to play. That might be why it's still at two and a half. But I'm assuming Justin Fields is playing when I'm saying that the Lions are who I'm taking on that side. I mean, I, I and I for your point about them being you know top 10 in pass rushing grade, that's great. But they're also like bottom four in EPA per play allowed. They're still allowing a ton of... You know, plays on D. I don't think this defense is that good. Yeah, maybe they can get pressure, but I don't think they can hold up on the back end. I think I'm going to take the Chicago Bears minus two and a half. Well, hold up on the back end. It's like quarterback with Chicago is still not great. I'm going Lions. I'm, going I, Lions. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fading I'm Lions. Lions. I'm taking Chicago at home. I like them over. I mean, I like them taking the two and a half. Panthers, Cowboys. Cowboys favored by four and a half in this one. I was surprised this got out to this far. I thought a lot of people were in on the Panthers. A lot of people were buying in the Carolina Panthers, top defense in football, Super Bowl contenders, Sam Darnold, quarterback of the future. Betting markets are actually all in on Dak Prescott, who is off to a stellar start to the 2021 season. Yeah, they, they, got, they got the kind of offense right now, or at least look like they got a kind of offense, that not sure it matters who you play. You know, they look good against Bucks, good Bucks defense. They look good against a good Chargers defense. And they just shithoused a not bad Eagles defense. Like they, and they just look like a juggernaut. And the, the matchup I want to see, though, and the deciding factor here, Mike Parsons going against Cam Irving. And, and now Mike Parsons against the Eagles was not quite, quite making the same impact place he was. But Mike Parsons, with his sort of how he rushes right now, he exposes bad athletes. Going up against Lane Johnson, he was never going to be great because – like you have to beat Lane Johnson with technique. You have to use your hands better than Mike Parsons does at the moment. But Micah Parsons throws more at you athletically than shit any other edge rusher in the NFL right now. Do ran a four three six, you know, and, and a sub seven three cone at two forty five. He is a different animal. And if you cannot match that, if you don't have the mirror to match that, which I need to tell you about Cam Irving, uh, they're going to throw Cam Irving or Mike Parsons over Cam Irving all day long, and that's going to be the, the deciding factor. Deciding factor, shall we say? 
I, I think initially when I saw the lineup, I think it opened at five and it's tiered between five and four and a half. I wanted to you know, buy into this Carolina Panthers hype, but as good as Sam Darnold has played, I think it's important to remind everyone that he hasn't been good. He's just been so much better than he's ever been. I mean, he's been good, but not like top top 10, top eight, not like that, how Dak not Prescott's playing. Yes. Dak Prescott's playing a lot sure better than that. Sam Darnold has. It's a sight for sore eyes for anyone that's followed Sam Darnold throughout his career, but it's still not, you know, there's still not a top 10, top 12 offense and EPA per play so far this season. And defensively, this pressure rate is fantastic, but they are going against a very talented Dallas Cowboys defense. I'm leaning on your end here. I like Dak Prescott, better quarterback, favored by four and a half at home. I think the Cowboys win this one. They, they cover that number as well. Colts at Dolphins. Dolphins favored by one and a half with Jacoby Brissett under center at home. If that's not just an indictment on this Colts team, I don't know what to tell you. This defense, in my opinion, has not met expectations. And offensively, they cannot figure anything out. I mean, they can't do a lot of things right with Jacoby Brissett in there. There's not a lot of reasons for hope or optimism on the outside side of the ball. I st- but this is still another game that I think is going to be close to call. I hate this. Like I don't want to bet either side of this line because of all the... Yeah, no. I mean, you have, a backup lot of you have a backup quarterback on one, and you have an offensive line in shambles on the other. Colts down Quentin Nelson in this game, or more than likely down Quentin Nelson in this game. You have Carson Wentz was still, you know, coming off two gimpy ankles. Uh, a Colts offense that we'll talk about a little bit later in the mailbag portion that just can't generate explosive pass plays. So I don't want us to pick either, is what I'll say. But forced to pick, I'll pick the Colts to get their first one of the season. I see. I wouldn't pick this one either. This is a very tightly matched team between two like well, it's just mediocre- too many, too many, when there's too many unknowns. It's just like, what are you doing? You're throwing shit out of walks. You just don't know how it's gonna. Right now in PFF's ELO rating system, the Colts are the 22nd ranked team. Miami at 24th. That's what Jacoby Brissett factored in, favored by one and a half. I think I'm leaning Miami actually though. I think there's a lot of injuries for the Colts. A lot of guys battling injuries, too. Whether or not they'll play is still TBD, but like Darius Leonard, questionable. Quentin Nelson, Jack Doyle, Jonathan Taylor, Quiddy Pay. Like, this has been a battered team. Rocky Sin also battling injury, along with Carson Wentz, who barely has functional mobility in his ankles right now. So I I am wildly concerned about this Colts team. I don't love betting on Jacoby Brissett, especially after seeing how they played against the Las Vegas Raiders last week. But I think if I had, I'm going home team mostly, and the team may be less affected by injuries from a multitude perspective. Obviously, the two except for the starting quarterback. Yeah, I was saying <laughs> the two tongue by low injury being a big no, hitter yeah. for sure. Um, all right, Browns at Vikings. This is my favorite bet. Oh. My favorite bet is the Cleveland Browns minus two against Minnesota. Okay, I like the Browns minus I, two against. Minnesota. I think Browns minus two against Minnesota is my favorite bet. I. Talk to the betting guys, George and Eric. They also like those bets. That's always good to see. There's value on Cleveland. Kirk Cousins is playing exceptionally. We talked about that in the last yeah. podcast. But I do think on the other side of the ball, this Browns defense is one of the better defenses in the NFL. And they're, yeah. they're the more complete team. They should go into Minnesota and cover this minus two and win this football game, especially if you get it under that key number three. I think this, if this was at, say, plus three and a half, I don't know if I would bet the Browns. I think it will be a close match. But I do think um, the Cleveland Browns cover the number. It's one of my favorite bets this week. Yeah, I don't – the Vikings – have played the Bengals, Cardinals, Seahawks. They haven't faced a defense nearly as talented as what the Browns bring to the table. And the big matchup that, you know, Sharpie, highlight, whatever you want to do. Miles Garrett going up against Rashad Hill. And now they will more than likely or should more than likely chip chip every single goddamn time. Every time you're dropping back to pass, only run four-man routes without fail. But 
then I, then you'll see the Browns move him around. I mean, we all saw that clip of Miles Garrett teleporting across Cody Whitehair's face this past week. He's and, on and that's a tear right see. now. He, he is the best edge rusher in the NFL. Like, don't – I'm not going to accept any arguments for Randy Wells. It, it, it is Miles Garrett. Um, He's the favorite to win defensive player of the year for the first time in his career. Ooh. And, and should be. I mean, him and Aaron Donald are right up there. He's going to get – Aaron Donald's going to get voter fatigue, though. Uh, with how good he is every single year. But Miles Garrett's been just as good this year, a monster. So that's the matchup that just like there's no shake in that. There's no shake in how good this Browns defensive line is compared to what the Vikes are throwing out in their offensive line. Hell, I'll say this. It will be a game. You know, it's not going to be a blowout by any means. I'm not predicting that. But I think Cleveland does win this one and covers the two. Baker Mayfield playing really well. Year two with Stefanski. OBJ, not his kryptonite, kryptonite, as we're finding out. And defensively, I think they have the edge as well. Giants at Saints. Saints favored by eight here. I don't know. I don't think the Giants should be eight-point dogs to the roller coaster that is Jameis Winston. Daniel Jones is playing well. Andrew Thomas is playing well. Where they've lost games have been in more volatile areas, in my opinion. And I think the Saints are vulnerable. They're they're vulnerable every single week. Eight points is too much for me. I'm taking the Giants. I like the Giants as well. And I think they at least have the talent to. Now, they haven't been an exceptional run defense this year, but you have guys in Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, that should be able to plug up basically what the Saints want to do, which is punch it in the mouth with that offensive line. That's what they've, in the games they've won, that's exactly what yeah. they've done. It has been not relying on Jameis as little as possible in the games they've won. But I, don't th- I, I just don't think, I think the Giants, knowing that, have the talent to stuff the run and then force it to be a Jameis pass the ball through the air to beat him starting a game. When that's the case, eight's a lot. I do get that Cam Jordan against Nate Solder is a gargantuan mismatch that will not end well for uh, the New York Giants. But Cameron Jordan hasn't quite been Cameron Jordan yet this year. His 65.2 pass rushing grade so far is his lowest in seven years. So uh, we shall see if that trend continues. I do think they are equipped to force the New Orleans Saints to throw the football. And that can that can be enough with Jameis Winston. You, know, you can force him turnover-worthy plays, and you could stay in this game. And I think Daniel, you know, this offense, despite that hot start that the New Orleans Saints had had against the Green Bay Packers, still ranks inside. I think, or still ranks above the Giants' offense. Still ranks above uh, the Saints in efficiency so far this year. And defensively, while they're you could argue a bottom five, bottom six unit in the NFL up front against the run, like you said, they have been very, very stout and, and should. And they have the talent to to be a good defense. They just. Another team that's underperforming, uh, not playing games on Excel, according to Joe Judge, playing in the real world, but not winning games in the real world. (laughs) I love the Excel comment. That is uh, always phenomenal. Kind of expected coming from Joe Judge at this point. Yeah, I I would love to see him try to sort through a spreadsheet. Stop! Stop! <laughs> I'm just saying. any any chance here you're you're sprinkling some on the money line for the Giants. Uh, don't get too crazy on the road. On the road, I, I mean, don't like it. On the road, I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, the Saints have just been. I, I will say, the Saints have been up down. Like it's there has been really not much of an in between. So I don't I don't hate if you're if you're gonna really buy into the Giants, I don't hate it. I like guess uh, there's a path to them winning this football game, 
But I, I think eight's obviously the safer to cover that safe. Yeah, I think Giants covering the eight, Saints winning at home, despite the roller coaster that is James Winston. Titans at Jets. Jets, seven and a half point dogs. Also going to be without Marcus May in this game and also without a lot of hope. There's a lot of people that don't like this start for the New York Jets. Uh, Seth Galina wrote a piece. Is there a lot to like? That? I mean, is, or is, it'd be more surprising if there were people out there who were like, yes, this start. Is They're finally great. putting together, stringing together a handful of successful things. I think uh, Seth Galina and Analyst here at PFF wrote an outstanding piece on the Jets and just how hapless the start to this season has been on the offensive side of the ball and specifically around Zach Wilson. This Titans team should, in my opinion, be bigger favorites over the Jets, even though they are on the road. But there has been some up and down with the Tennessee Titans. But of late, I've liked what they've done. I like Todd Downing a lot more than I did in week one. You look. You give me the Titans that have played over the past two weeks. So Ryan Tannehill, I think, ranks top five or top six in PFF passing grade over the last two weeks. I think they beat the Jets, and I do think they cover the seven and a half. Yeah, the, the thing is, no Julio Jones or AJ Brown in this one is what's rumored to be the case. Uh, AJ Brown had the hamstring, Julio with a leg injury, undisclosed. That that's the concern. It's like, oh, seven and a half is a lot when you don't have any passing weapons on the outside you do still have derrick henry and you still have nick westbrook Aquina. a quarterback you know and ryan Tannehill, who's actually been playing fairly well this year so i think i'm staying away from this though as much as the jets have looked hapless they've at least had some okay results on the defensive side of the ball like they've had some games where you've, they've thought they've played above expectations on that side and so especially without your top two wideouts i'm just a little wary to go Titans on the road in this one. I'll say, I'll say Jets seven and a half cover. Really? Oh. I mean, seven and a half is a big number yeah. when the total is set at 44. And I think a lot of that is because of the two wideouts being out or rumored to be out in Julio Jones and AJ Brown. But I think this is, you know, how the how the Titans cover this number is maybe not offensively, but defensively. I think there's you know, Zach Wilson has been putting the ball in harm's way with reckless abandon almost as often as this Trevor Lawrence. I could see some defensive touchdowns from short fields pave the way for the Titans to cover the 7.5. And, and this number actually right now on DraftKings is just 7. So I think if you can get it without the hook, the hook being that extra half point past the key number 7, yeah. I think betting Titans minus 7 makes sense. At 7.5, maybe you lay off it. Or you play the dangerous game of betting on the Jets and watching Zach Wilson and hoping and praying. I mean, shit, betting on rookie quarterbacks this year has been a losing proposition. Absolutely. The most losing proposition. The, the biggest, the worst trend of any betting trend is betting on a quarterback. They've not covered <laughs> once except for when they play each other. Before we get to Chiefs at Eagles, wanted to bring up Homefield Apparel, a new partner to Tailgate. Homefield Apparel is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis, incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield is middle in the middle of Big News Saturday Season 2, where they launch a new school collection on every Saturday at 12 p.m. Eastern for 16 weeks straight. They just recently released Georgia, North Carolina, Florida, West Virginia, USC. They'll continue to release these six schools. I mean, it's awesome. If you like college gear and you like wearing these vintage dope designs or like, hey, I'm a big West Virginia fan and I have a shirt you don't have, go to Homefield Apparel. Use promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase. That's homefieldapparel.com. PFF, the promo code, 15% off. Get ready for college football tailgate season. Chiefs at Eagles. Eagles, only seven-point dogs at home. I like the Chiefs and I like them in droves. I agree. I do think the Eagles could put up points on this Chiefs defense. Like that, they have 
they could take a page out of that Ravens playbook and really attack them with Jalen Hurts in this run game to a way they didn't do against the Cowboys. They, they were they were far too pass heavy for my liking for just the offensive personnel they have there. Like I think they can dictate terms on the ground fairly well and can move the ball, but I, I just don't think they can also stop the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs are almost getting underrated to a degree this offense because they've played such good teams Mm -hmm. so far to start the year. Like they they have played three very good defenses out the gate. Like it's like, Oh, what's wrong with Patrick Mahomes? He's playing very good teams. And so now you go up against a team like the Eagles that just got cooked left and right against the Cowboys. I just don't think they can stop the Chiefs. You talk about get right games. This is one for Patrick Mahomes in the Kansas City Chiefs office to put up 40, you know, go in against Philly, a notably bad defense that has not played well. And make some plays. Javon Hargrave is graded really well. Aaron Donald, the only player that's graded higher above him at his position. But I think there's still vulnerabilities on this Eagles defense that the Chiefs can take advantage of. I think the only argument you can have for the Eagles to be, you know, to 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 cover this number is that the Chiefs defense ranks 32nd yeah. EPA per play and it's dog shit. You know, it has not played well. And, and um, especially the defensive line. The, the defensive yeah, line. Exactly. They've battled battled injuries. Frank Clark has not played. I didn't, he didn't play last week and he's battled injury this season. And moving to Chris Jones to edge has left that interior pretty wide open. I, I think the Eagles, like you said, need to run the football more than they did against Dallas. And that's their only hope of covering. I still don't think they outright win this game. I'm not touching the money line there. I think the Chiefs, though, if I had to bet a side, I'm betting the Chiefs minus seven. I think it's one of my other favorite lines in addition to Browns minus two. So the Chiefs rushing EPA per play against is .108, which would be a below average if that was your pass defense. Yeah. That's their running defense. They've allowed the highest EPA per play against and the highest success rate by far. 57% of opposing rushes have generated positive EPA against Chiefs. It's just been a massive massive issue i don't think it changes again in this game like i said i just don't think i just trust the chiefs to put points to the board more than do the eagles this could be one of the better games of the week four slate arizona cardinals going against los angeles rams two undefeated teams in the nfc west rams favored by four and a half and i like where that's at i think if it got to six six and a half seven i think you're underrating what kyler murray is capable of but just at four and a half, I am a huge fan of the Rams in this one. I've been caught red-handed fading the Rams, both preseason and heading into that Last game week. against Ta- Tampa Brady. Um, I'm not fading them anymore. I think four and a half, they are a top three defense and a top three offense in the NFL, and that does not change, in my opinion, against anyone, especially after seeing them do it handedly against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, I think they'll have pretty much whatever they want on the ground in this game is what I worry about for Arizona. And then... Obviously, we talked about Arizona secondary and kind of just bereft of playmakers at the cornerback position outside of Byron Murphy, who's having a good year. But yeah, and I think I wrote down here deciding factor: Kyler Murphy can make plays with his legs. He's you know a lot of their explosive plays have been on the backs of his scrambling ability. I think Aaron Donald could chase down Kyler Murray in space. Like I, Aaron Donald really? can get to him. They they hasn't not a lot of DTs in the NFL can. And I, again, I, I think yeah, fuck, I've said it every week with Rams. It's just like Donald is such a cheat code for their defense, creates so much havoc for opposing offenses. It's such a mismatch every single week that that's why I like them to cover this one. <laughs> um, I, I do like the Rams to cover as well. And I think Arizona, that defense has been efficient and they've been successful, but a lot of it has been 
that Chandler Jones game where he like single-handedly beat the Titans and then also some pick sixes that were gifted or a pick six that was gifted to Byron Murphy against Trevor Lawrence. So they're not going to get those type of gifts against the Los Angeles Rams. I think it's going to be a harder game to win. I think yeah. they do not cover four and a half. Seahawks at Niners. This is another kind of game where I'm scared to bet it. 49ers minus three at home. I, I've said this from the start, but the Seahawks, Seahawks, Seahawks are starting to inch closer. I thought, and I, I, maybe I still stand by this. The San Francisco 49ers are the worst team in the NFC West. Okay. Favored by three against the Seattle Seahawks. If the Seahawks lose this game, I will shift gears. And the Seahawks, even with Russell Wilson, you know, arguably a top six quarterback in the mm-hmm. NFL, them being the worst team in the NFC West would be really telling of just how bad this supporting cast has been for him. And you said it, you are kind of hinted on it earlier in the week when we talked about Seattle. When these big plays aren't there, and you have to chunk your way down the football field, they don't have the dogs to do it. They need Tyler Lockett streaming wide open down the field and those explosive touchdowns to keep pace. And defensively, outside of some bright spots along the defensive line, the secondary has really struggled to overcome the loss of Shaquille Griffin, among others. This is a bad supporting cast around a really talented quarterback. I, for the last time this week, though, if they don't don't meet my expectations, I'm betting on Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks. I like them plus three, and I like them to win this one. Man, I, I don't know if San Francisco is actually good. Like, I still don't know who this team is. But I will say, I I think they have a little bit more success offensively than they did last week. I think matchup-wise, I, I like what – I like how they match up in this game against the Seattle defense. Like, I think their offensive line can basically keep Jimmy Garoppolo clean enough to let those playmakers go to work on the outside. So I'm going to go 49ers in this one. Um, and, and Kyle Shanahan has seen this cover three bucking ad nauseum. He has seen, you know, Pete Carroll's defense. He, he has every trick in the book to beat it as basically single-handedly himself led to the downfall of or the proliferation of this cover three throughout the NFL and leading to, you know, the more Vic Fangio tree expanding and being the popular defense du jour. So I'll go 49ers. I'm nervous. I'm nervous about the Seattle Seahawks pick. You know, all of it, all yeah. three points and then some is on Russell Wilson. Yeah, he came back it really is. I mean, it is because Russell Wilson is like if you're betting the Seahawks, it's because you Russell Wilson is far. You believe, more. yeah, because all signs point to San Francisco. This low average depth of target, conservative offense being enough. They gain yards at the catch. Debo Samuel continues to have success. Even maybe they get Kittle more involved, Ayuk more involved. Then they just kind of carve their way to a comfortable win and cover this number. But I'm betting Russell Wilson. I'm betting. I have faith. I have the faith in Russell Wilson. I'm going to do it one last time. Ravens at Broncos. Broncos favored by one. One of the most surprising teams to start this NFL season. Another undefeated team in the AFC West. Going against what I'll say this. I'll say this. A red hot Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's playing well, man. I mean, he is playing really well. Had a handful of touchdowns dropped against with Marquise Brown. I think he has what six big time throws on the season. Has been wildly successful at avoiding the rush and moving forward. I think outside of that week one game where he had costly fumbles that lost him that game, he has really bounced back and he looks good. I think I'm taking Lamar Jackson on the road. I am not. I'm going to go Denver Broncos. They are one of two defenses, along with the Los Angeles Rams, that have above average grades in run defense, pass rush, coverage, and tackling. That They are a complete unit. They have a lot of options to defeat opposing offenses. And I think that's what you need when you have Lamar Jackson. You, you need guys who are, 
you know, multiple athletes at every level of the football field that are capable of tracking this guy down and shutting down this offense. So I think like they were boomer busty last week against the Detroit Lions hmm. offensively. I think that's more bust than boom in this one. More bust than boom. I love where the total sits here. It's at 45. I think a lot of people, maybe before seeing that number, would expect it in the 50s. You got Lamar Jackson. You got Teddy B. He's exceeding expectations. But this Denver Broncos defense is going to bottle up Baltimore more than the other defenses they face have been. And I think for Teddy Bridgewater going against this Baltimore Ravens defense and losing KJ Hamler without Jerry Judy, going to have to lean on Tim Patrick. They get this offense maybe slows compared to the start of the season. I think that's reflected also in what this has been bet. 91% of the cash and 82% of the tickets, the bets have been on the Baltimore Ravens at plus one. I'm riding with the consensus here. I'm taking the Ravens as well. Steelers at Packers. Packers favored by seven at home. Is there, there's no way in my opinion that the Steelers cover plus seven unless Big Ben looks holistically (laughs) different then he has to start this year. He has to play so much different than what he has with not a lot of reason for him. You know, a lot of the concerns with him have been it would defy physical limitations. Logic, like physical yeah. limitations. His physical limitations have to go away and he has to improve in that regard for them to cover this number. And I just don't know if that's humanly possible. I'm taking Packers myself. But I think that's the thing is it's also, it's not just that it's Big Ben has to drastically improve. It's He has to drastically improve because it's literally all on him. You have the worst running game in the NFL. One of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. Yeah, like bar none. You are dead last in rushing EPA, and you are far and away dead last in rushing success rate. 16.7% of their carries this year have generated positive EPA. have been good runs. No running back in the NFL has been contacted at behind the line of scrimmage more than Najee Harris. 70% of his carries have been at – he's been hit as he hits the line of scrimmage. The running game is not going to have success. And that – they're – 10% 10% worse still, percentage points worse still than the Atlanta Falcons who have been dreadful themselves. So, <laughs> like, so again, it's, it's going to be all on Big Ben. And it's like the, for the opposite side of the ball, the Packers going against Steelers defense. Steelers defense is like they operate on chaos, operate on those blitzes, stunts, slants, whatever. And I, I do worry about the Packers offensive line, but I think we saw last week, like, Rodgers. He's going to get the ball out of his hands. Like, he knows the offensive line is bad. He knows he's not going to have time. And when that's the case, he's going to get the ball out of his hands quickly. And shit, I just, like, you trust the back down to that position. You trust Rodgers so much more than you trust Big Ben, which has happened. I don't know. My chair might have just broke, but we're oh. going gonna to bounce back from it. We're gonna, I don't know what just happened here. Um, but we're going we're gonna to move forward here. We're going to move forward and fight through this broken chair. I, I, I'm picking the Packers minus seven. I was going to ask you, who would you choose between? Would you choose Eli Big Manning? Ben and Aaron Rodgers? I'm going to go Aaron Rodgers. No, no, I meant oh. to start your team right now or to play a game for your life. Eli Manning here. Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, or Big Ben? Shit, that one's a, that's a good one. Uh, probably Peyton. I think Peyton too. Yeah. I'll throw Favre in there. Ooh, now, we're, we're getting, now we're getting crazy. Uh, I'll still go Peyton. I think Peyton. Big Ben or shit. the chair that's broken beneath my ass? <laughs> still go Big Ben there. <laughs> Sunday Night Football, Bucks at Patriots. Probably the most anticipated game of the year. Chris Collinsworth has been in the office preparing for this game for a while. Big fan of this one. I'm not touching Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots with the 10-foot pole. I think Tom Brady's coming for blood. He's coming for legitimate blood. He's going to go in here and try and hang 40 on him. Yeah. I don't think he does. That would be really difficult to do. But I think the Bucks do cover the seven. And not... not 
completely embarrass the New England Patriots, but I think it's going to be a easy, easy victory for TB. Yeah, it's uh, as much as you know, Bill Belichick himself, one of the most intense competitors in NFL history. It's like the guy on the other side of the ball is too. Tom Brady, like if you're the out for blood revenge game, who you decide who has more to like the one on the field, get pissed. It's probably the one on the field. So uh, I would love to pick New England. That has a lot of points for a team that's I think a solid football team at home. But I just think with Mac Jones, that's a tough defense. Todd Bowles defense is a tough defense face when you're a Rick quarterback. I think that's an understatement. Yeah. And like you're going to see a lot of checkdowns and that's a tough linebacking core to get a ton of yards against on checkdowns like that's that's where Devin White thrives it is it's I don't that's where all the splash plays and kind of the hype around him comes from is how he closes to screens and underneath stuff so yeah I'm gonna lean bucks I don't want to yeah and I don't want to bet against Tom and Foxborough I don't care what team he's on I'm not betting against Tom yeah. and Foxborough and that's trust the been, trends trust the trends I mean he had to trust the trends so far at a I don't think I've seen over 90 percent on a seven point spread in a while but over 95% of the tickets have been bet on Tampa Bay and 91% of the cash so far this year. People betting in at minus seven. That is impressive. That is impressive. Yeah. A lot of support for Tom Brady, and I'm not going to be one who's doubting Tommy against uh, his former team. Monday Night Football. This is the, So the Bucks and Patriots are stealing the thunder. Monday Night Football is going to be fucking sick. Yeah. Las Vegas Raiders, red-hot team, 3-0 and against tough competition to start this year. Going against the Chargers as three and a half point dogs. And people will say on the road, this ain't on the road. This is LA. Raiders run deep in LA. When I was at San Diego State, I went to every single Chargers Raiders game. I know that's a little bit different than LA. That place was jam fucking packed with Raiders fans. The same is going to be, especially for a Raiders team that's actually three and oh. You know, Raiders fans are not fair weather fans, but I'll tell you what, when the game, when the team is winning for the first time in 20 years, they're going to come out of the woodworks. This game's going to be black in L.A. Three and a half point favorites. I love that they're giving me the hook. I am taking the Raiders against the spread. I'm taking the Raiders too, man. I, I Every Monday morning, I wake up early to get a jump on that all 22. I can't wait. And I flip on rookie quarterbacks, go through those. Maybe I flip on like Micah Parsons because I, I enjoy watching him play the game of football. And the first team I'm flipping on after that is the Las Vegas Raiders because they are playing an exciting brand of football to see what John Gruden's kind of throwing out because yep. he is – throwing out some creative stuff there with that offense and the matchup that I'm going to highlight. I know where I had to go. Storm Norton versus Max Crosby. Max Crosby must be whatever religion he is, I want to join. He, he is <laughs> he is a higher power is shining down upon him. We talked about it last week with the tackles he's faced so far in Alejandro Villanueva flipping sides week one in Shkuma Okorafor week two in rookie making his first start on the opposite side week three in Miami in Liam Eikenberg. And now Storm Norton, like he could be a run-of-the-mill average defenseman, and he's not, but he would look like a damn near all-pro with that slate of tackles he's faced. They're, go they're again, another game where it's, if you're not chipping this every time, Max Cross is beating him every time. 25 pressures through three weeks has been unblockable. I cannot wait to see that tape Monday morning. I, I think there's going to be a lot of fireworks in this game, too. Excuse me. Tuesday morning. There'll be a lot of fireworks in this game, too. The, the total set at 52.5. I like the over there. The Raiders are so aggressive offensively, throwing at such a high rate on early downs. They're chasing explosive plays. And this defense is good for Los Angeles, but I think they can get on a chart this Chargers defense. And the Raiders defense, though it is improved, is still middle of the pack. I still think Justin Herbert puts up two or three touchdowns in this one as well. I like the over, but I like the Raiders to cover the number. And at plus 150, 
I'm getting the Raiders money line. At plus one. At plus one fifty. I'm getting the Raiders money line. All right. Prospect primer. That's the NFL week preview. On to the prospect primer here. I do think an underrated part of that. I think you hit the nail. Did you say that earlier in the start that in LA? Raiders yeah. fans will be rocking. Yeah. You said that. Yeah. I didn't say that. I fucking hammered it. Too. Yeah. Yeah. You you I, I think attention. that's, no, I, I was, I was just wanting to reiterate that there may be more Raiders fans there than Chargers. I don't think it's May. There are yeah. going to be more Raiders fans in LA than there are going to be Chargers fans. Yeah. There's going to be. Silent Sea of Black. It's going to be a Sea of Black. My dad's going to be there. Oh, yeah. He might be. I don't know, actually. The tailgate is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps you advance your money moves. Buying your first home? Planning to start a family? Wondering how to make your money grow? Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to identify your needs and address your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Prospect Primer. You've got a lot here. There's some good games this weekend. I am so ready for a rat yeah. poison. Rat poison. Yeah. I want, I am betting Ole Miss with my life at plus 14 and a half. <laughs> I want Ole Miss at plus 14 and a half. And I want to send him. that as a DM to Lane Kiffin to know he has my support and him to send me back a rat emoji and a poison no, emoji. No, you don't just tweet it out, say Ole Miss lock of the week, and then tag Lane Kiffin and he'll quote to it and say rat poison. I love that. I might do it. I might do it. But outside, we'll get to that game. Well, let's start so with yeah. that game. Matt Corral, Corral and Jaron Ely versus Alabama defense. Now, not a lot of great matchups for the Alabama prospects in retrospect. Like Ole Miss defense still, nothing too special. You got Sam uh, Williams, though, going up against Evan Neal. That's a nice little matchup. Sam Williams, big physical edge rusher, 6'4", 265. Been producing well this year. But obviously, Ole Miss ain't played nobody, as they say down south. So, uh, ain't played nobody. Uh, I'm looking forward to, for those two playmakers on Ole Miss's offense, massive test for both of them. So that's where I'm starting this week. A couple of prospects we also highlighted on the Wednesday episode. Charles Cross and DeMarvin Leal going to tee it off yeah. this week. 1v1 going. Mississippi State versus Texas A&M. That's the matchup to watch there. And I think Leal is a guy that I would expect to give Cross some troubles. Now, troubles in that the rush, like some certain guys struggle with certain rushers. So you look at Eric Fisher. I like that analysis. I, I think... You know, Eric Fisher was one of the better pass protectors in the NFL before you know, he tore his Achilles. But when he went up against a power sort of rusher, a Nick Bosa in the Super Bowl, uh, guys of that ilk that will shock you on contact, it wasn't as good. And this is kind of what this matchup is. So if, if he looks good in this, if he can handle Leal's sort of physical play style, it's a, it's a dub, dub for his draft stock. The return of Kayvon Thibodeau, edge defender oh, for yeah. Oregon, number one overall prospect, going against friend of the pod on this pod. Hell yeah. My guy, Tanner McKee. Our guy, Tanner McKee. Our Stanford guy. Quarterback. Our Just our I mean, like, Stanford's <laughs> O-line, it's not going to be a great matchup for him, but just seeing him on a football field again, can't wait for that. And then McKee, best defense he's probably going to face all season. So that is a nice little twofer. I asked McKee to, on the show, just to give you a really nice tidbit for Oregon, ask them to, you know, early impressions of turn on the tape, give me a preview. He said he's just excited to play the game, which mm. I fucking love that, you know? I love that. You got to hear that story, his story, though, about going to Brazil there for two years. He said he barely even picked up a football. Did yeah. one practice at a semi-pro American football team in Brazil, and that's it. And pretty much outside of that, it was like trying to find time to work out, to hit the ground running as he has in Stanford's offense has been special. I know uh, Shaw's right behind him. Uh, yeah, a I remember of- Notre Dame had a player a while back, like eight years ago or so, that went on a, a LDS mission two years, and it was just like 
it didn't work out for two years. It's like, damn, damn. Like yeah. that's, that's commitment. Dude, those things are legit. Just, I mean, he, he was explaining to. Yeah. Uh, he had to learn po- Portuguese. He's tested out of Portuguese at Stanford after spending two years in Brazil. Some fantastic stuff from Tanner McKee. Couple other matchups to highlight here: Traylon Burks, Arkansas wide receiver, another friend of the show, going against Darion Kendrick. Yeah, I think George is going to be a little smarter than Texas A&M was, and not leave their corners one on one on the outside and press man against Traylon Burks. I think they're going to play a little bit more zone, a little bit less, a little bit less letting one guy being able to beat you in that game. I have a fun fact here, or a fun trivia question before we get to the actual trivia of the show: the number one defense in EPA per play allowed in college football is Georgia. The number two is Iowa. Can you name the number three? Is it going to be Arkansas? No. Okay. Then I can't. Rutgers. Oh. Greg Chiano and the Ruck- and Rutgers Scarlet Knights are out here grinding. All right. Daniel no, Fall. No, they're out there chopping wood. They're chopping wood. They're That's chopping Chiano's wood. Thing. We got to get out to a Butker- I mean, Rutgers game next year. What's your take That's on that? Uh, I, I don't have any inclination to go to New Jersey. You're a but. piece of shit. You're just not a Scarlet Knight lifer like me. Daniel Falele going against George, George, George Karloftis of Purdue, a big boy versus a big boy. This one will be good. Yeah, I don't think Karloftis is going to face outside of, I think it's one of the top prospects going to face here uh, on his schedule for Purdue. So a nice matchup for him. Falele has been kind of hot, Cole. He's not, I, I wouldn't put him close to the first round conversation right now. Uh, obviously, very intriguing tools, but he's still kind of far away. So I think Karloff just may get the better of that matchup. A couple more matchups here. Zachary Carter versus Darian Kennard, the offensive tackle for Kentucky, going against Florida Edge, Zachary Carter. And then Mitchell Agude, UCLA, going against Kellen Dyche. Those are kind of actually interesting because those are strength versus strength matchups. We talked about mismatched earlier in the Leal versus Cross. Carter and Kennard are power players. Those are big physical dudes, both of them. Kennard damn near 350 uh, tackle there. For Kentucky, whereas Aguda and uh, D- Dish, I believe is what, how it's pronounced. I like Dish, but we'll go Dish. Might be, might be that. Uh, both kind of finesse players, both a little speed versus speed, agile versus agile. So those will be nice matchups to watch both. Before we get to trivia, can we do the mailbag? Let's get the mag bag. I'm, I'm, I'm mailbag. a big fan of the mailbag. Appreciate you guys following PFF underscore tailgate on Twitter, sending us those DMs. Yes. That helps us out a ton. We're reading them all. We're getting after them. Also, you can do this by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. This first one's from Robbie Brecht, or Brett. Maybe the CH is silent. Which, if any, current slash upcoming quarterback prospects do you hold in a similar regard to Trevor Lawrence? (laughs) And can you please speak a little, speak a little to Arch Manning? Okay. Lawrence. Uh, I mean, none. That's why Lawrence is Lawrence. You know, um, until a freshman wins the national championship this year. We, then we can talk about a prospect. But no, it, Lawrence was different. None of these guys are honestly even close to like Zach Wilson at this point from what I saw from him last year. So not a great quarterback class. And even underclassmen, I'm not sure a lot, are showing out in a big, big way. And then to speak to Arch Manning, it cracks me up that the only person that Lane Kiffin follows on Instagram is Arch Manning. But didn't Arch Manning already commit to all of West Virginia? Did he? I'd, That's what they said on the Manning cast in week one. I think that was a joke, right? Oh, was it? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I thought I was like, okay, it seemed real. Peyton Manning, that sarcasm layer was thin. I thought it was like, oh wow, West Virginia. All righty, but I haven't. I don't follow the Arch Manning shit as much as maybe you do. Uh, this is from H Justin on Twitter. Why are pump formations so? Di- this is a good question. Why are pump formations so different in college than the NFL? In college, it seems like most teams have the guys scattered all over the field, whereas the NFL usually has the seven tight on the line, two gunners, an up man, and a punter. Yeah. So in college, there's no legal man downfield. So in the NFL, 
everyone, if you're on the line of scrimmage, if you're not an eligible receiver, you can't release, basically, uh, until the ball has been punted. In college, as soon as the ball is snapped, you can just go, just run. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see, like a, you'll see a three, three guys protecting the actual punt location of where the punter is going to punt it, and then you'll see kind of just like a wave of guys on your front wall just to like kind of kickoff thing, just kind of slow them down, just to basically uh, give them one tap to where if if you're outside of that kind of wave it's like five or six guys like right up front if you're outside of that you're too far away like it's the punt's gonna get caught kicked before you can even get there like punts get blocked in the nfl it's not it's almost 99 times out of 100 the guy is unblocked completely coming up the middle and even then sometimes guys don't have enough time to get there so i think that's the biggest difference uh in the formations that you love see. that deep cut not about a prospect not about i love when we get the questions about who should my team take at this pick and or mm-hmm. in like you know november that was a a cool one danny cox on twitter how would you evaluate Carson Wentz and the Colts offensive line so far? 21 hits and six sacks in two games. Is this on Wentz making the offensive line look worse, as PFF has mentioned previously, or is this the offensive line playing bad? Frank Wright seemed to refute the latter, refute, refute the latter on Monday. Uh, the offensive line's been bad. It, it's, <laughs> I don't think there's any sugarcoating it. When you have very black and white today, as many backups as they've had to play. I, I mean, when you have Julian Davenport starting, all three games because of uh, Brain Smith getting hurt because of Eric Fisher being not ready to start the year, and then Eric Fisher coming back and not being, you know, still not being the Eric Fisher. We oh, saw. He's coming off he's a coming big off injury, a big injury, yeah, like a massive injury, and then obviously Quentin Nelson going down. Like it has been a hodgepodge mismatch, and that's not been great. Like you lost a very good left tackle last year. That's kind of why we say left tackles are pass protection uh, because they are on the island far more than anyone else in your offensive line or your ta- two tackle positions are pass protection. So when there have been disastrously worse than they were last year, that's an issue. But then also, Wentz is not a is not a guy who attacks, who is who handles pressure well. He just yeah. never has over Invites the course it, of his career. Will. And he gets those kind of heavy feet in the pocket. You don't see those subtle movements that you see from a Rodgers, from a Brady that keeps his eyes down the football field. So when pressure is coming, it's running back check down, running back check down, over the middle check down. It is not let's still see if we can make plays they have the second lowest i believe or it was the they have only 267 yards uh on throws 10 plus yards down the football field i had the stat you just deleted it from the page there but the second lowest yards there we go only 267 yards on throws 10 plus yards down the football field only Jared Goff, Jameis Winston and Matt Ryan have fewer among starters this year so they just have not had explosive plays through the air do you see it getting better? Eric Fisher getting better and this offensive line progressing? Yeah, or Eric is- Fisher should get better. Like you would hope as is, but, and then Brain Smith coming back. Like when that's the case, yeah, it'll get better, but. For now. Yeah. Zook on Twitter. How does PFF grade penalties? For example, if ref if a ref flags for pass interference, but the grader disagrees, is the coverage player's grade negatively affected? It is not. It can, you can get positives for getting when you get a penalty like mm-hmm. if it's a bad call objectively we grade what you did on the play mm-hmm. and we can even say if it's a good like a good call but it's like on the borderline we could just say oh, we're not going to downgrade that as well mm-hmm. so that happens a good deal it still goes down the stat if you're looking at the stats the penalty is still there on them but yeah, you're not going to take they're not going to say he yeah. didn't get penalized yes obviously all right 
corporate shill on Twitter with the Texans win in a in week one and good display against the Browns until Terod Taylor went down in week two. How worried should I be as the Texans fan under four wins in the regular season ticket holder? Love the pod. Keep up the stellar work from Glasgow, Scotland. I hope Terod gets healthy. Feel like he's owned all he's owned an almost full season. That's fair. I, I think what I'd be more worried about is not the Texans looking good. It's like how bad certain other teams have looked, mm-hmm. whether it's the Colts or Jaguars in their own division. That being like, oh shit, maybe like their other teams might bottom out and you know gift them a win. But I still believe in the under four. Trust me, I'm still still a firm believer. Still a firm believer. I, that is a sweat though. After the week one win, you're sweating on that under yeah, four, right? especially with how good Tyrod looked. And now um, the injury I think is making giving that life. Davis Mills single handedly giving that life. This is from Thumb Sports and Safe to Play Football on Twitter. Is there a chance Ahmad Gardner, Kyer Elam, or and or Kyer Elam? jumps Derek Stanley for CB1. It would have to be an injury, in my opinion, like on the football field. And it's because like NFL evaluators, like they rely on traits. So like if you give up a few big plays here and there, and it's not like Stingley has, he's only given up 47 yards all year long. And 45 of those came on that one touchdown against UCLA, which is like a dig route from outside leverage. He, he was never going to not give up that pass. I don't care who it is. Like Jalen Ramsey gives up that pass. Now, missing the tackle, allowing it to be a touchdown, that was bad. But, like, Stingley has not played poorly enough to warrant even that conversation, in my opinion. But, like, even if he does start playing poorly, he still has much more prototypical cornerback one traits than the other two. So, I don't think that's going to be the case, unless, like I said, injury. Yeah, I think the injury makes the most sense. Because, I mean, I think regardless of how Derek Stingley finishes the season, athletically, he is going to have supporters in droves Mm -hmm. he is going to be a rare rare tester and along with stellar tape at such a young age at lsu neil on twitter should tyler linderbaum's pass blocking grade be a concern for teams in the nfl draft no and and that's kind of one of the biggest things i do in my role is look at how a grade was basically accumulated and if that's something you should be worried about or excited about or whatever, how that should mm-hmm. translate to the NFL. And so three pressures this year. One came really late, which was a loss, but it was about three and a half, four seconds after snapping for a center one-on-one with a two-way go. That's that's not bad. That's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. You'd obviously rather keep the guy locked up for that long, but it's not always possible. One, he was screwed by the right guard who literally pushed a Colorado State defensive tackle into Linderbaum in back and then into the quarterback's lap and then the other one was a play action fake where he has to execute the play action fake and the guy went back door on him and that's just sometimes gonna happen so i'm not too worried about and yeah they get downgraded because grading you know snap per snap performance but from an nfl draft perspective those are very minor issues i mean when you're looking at you know we talk a lot about like predictive you know, the grades being yeah. very predictive. They are very predictive, but going back and looking at that stuff and seeing, like you said, how those things are accumulated is always going to be a part of PFS process, specifically for draft evaluation and player evaluation. Drew on Twitter. I was watching Braxton Miller, Ohio State quarterback tape today. Wow. And found myself thinking if he'd stayed healthy and had been put in Lamar Jackson type situation, he could have been successful at quarterback in the NFL. Am I crazy for thinking this? And if I'm not, if I'm, if not him, are there any other former college quarterbacks that you guys think could have been successful at the NFL level if they were given a Lamar Jackson type situation? That, in my opinion, is horseshit. You can't. <laughs> selling Lamar is, very here, short. Here's the take. I'm looking at the fucking camera, yeah. Quinn. There is no Lamar Jackson type situation. 
This dude is fucking rare. Why are people still trying to say you can get in this Lamar Jackson? Lamar Jackson is one of one. And I don't think you're going to see another quarterback like that. I think the only comparable quarterback we've seen is Mike Vick. No, I don't think Braxton Miller in a similar situation has the same success. Lamar Jackson, Jackson, one of one. Yeah, so one, even just as pure runners, Lamar's on another level than Braxton Miller. Like Braxton Miller was a dynamic dude with the ball in his hands, but he was also 200 pounds coming out, uh, was not a you know low four. He was a, ran a four or five. Uh, he was not as electric. Uh, and now he was very much, but Lamar Jackson's still like on another level from him. And then as a passer, Braxton Miller did have a strong arm. Uh, I'm not going to deny that. He had an NFL caliber arm strength, but he was very inaccurate. And now Lamar Jackson's not known for his actually, but Lamar is much better decision maker, I thought, much quicker decision maker than Braxton Miller was. Like if he was really that dude at the quarterback position, you don't move him to wide receiver. Exactly. You just you don't at the collegiate level. He was more he was closer to a Denard Robinson than a Lamar Jackson, in my opinion. I also don't think enough is said, and I'm not I don't know, you know, Braxton Miller's like the leadership qualities, but I don't think enough is said about Lamar Jackson's leadership qualities. I think how he holds himself in press conferences and how you've seen him mic'd up in these situations, I do think Lamar Jackson has been rare in that regard as well, in addition to being a freak with the football in his hands. I mean he won the Heisman at Louisville, you know, like Braxton Miller did not at Ohio State. So like a much black and white there. A much better program like much more talent surrounding him sort of thing. Quinn, is it time for trivia? Yeah, it is. Um, big day, obviously, for PFF. $50 million investment, uh, Richard Sherman podcast. And we have our first listener-submitted trivia question. Wow. That's pretty equal value to the I, mil. That's, that's what I said. Maybe even more so. <laughs> um, but it's from Vishnu Srinivas. I hope I said that right, Vishnu. But he wants to know, uh, in 2021, Alabama tied a record with three players drafted in the top 10. Jalen Waddell, Pat Sertan, two, and Devontae Smith. In 2016, this school also did it with these three players. 2016. I know. Why don't you give us an answer then? It's Ohio State. Is it? Yeah. Who yeah. was it? It was what? Bosa and then Zeke and then Eli Apple snuck in at 10. Really? Yeah. Forgot about Eli Apple. Yeah, that that's almost, I'll give it to you, but the answer I was looking for is Ohio State with Joey Bosa, Zeke Elliott. And Bengals legend, current mm. Bengals legend, Eli Apple. He balled out last week. He did ball out last week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next one. Okay, number two. Um, tailgate is headed to South Bend to see number nine Notre Dame take on number seven Cincinnati this weekend. Notre Dame hasn't lost to a non-Power 5 team since this school beat them also in 2016. Oh, God damn it. A lot of schools probably. Um, I have no idea. I don't 2016 know. 2016 was the dark year. That was like the three and nine, I want to say. So the dark year. <laughs> I mean, they lost to everybody. I'll say, shit. Was it Tulsa? No, it was probably Tulsa nope. a while back. I don't know who was it. I missed a lot of a lot of memories missing from that year of Notre Dame football. You want to take a stab, Austin? Um, San Diego State. No, Navy. Oh, Navy. Yeah, Navy. I gone the troops. Around. They lost to the troops. Ah, hate to see it. Well, you, you can't. You can never be mad. Listening. No, you can't. You honestly yeah. encourage it. Yeah, it's actually probably a win. Mm. No, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> last one. Um, Cincinnati has two players in PFF's top 32 prospects for 2022: Sauce Gardner and Maje Sanders. If this holds, they'll become the second non-Power Five school to have two prospects in PFF's top 32. Who is the other school? Oh, that's a good question because I. 
in the history of doing draft boards or this year? Yeah, I guess in our draft board. Oh, wow. So we started yeah, first draft board is, was yeah, 2016 draft. So non-power five. Um, it was literally last year. It was Trey Lance and uh, oh, tackle. Yeah, Dylan Reed. Dylan Reed. Yeah, you nice. got it. I was going to give you a hint. I was going to say you literally wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was not I mean, somebody else's draft guy. But yeah, that's it. That's all I got. There we go. All right. Uh, know your co-host question. Do you have one? Yeah. Okay, I'll start off. This one's a little, this is not really about me, but it's ancillarily <laughs> about me. So I used to, with uh, my family, we would pick players that we thought uh, we'd pick, it was like start off like five players that we thought the Packers were going to draft. Um, the fuck? Every year during the draft. That was probably started in like 1999. I was probably like nine years old when we started doing that. And the first time I ever won was actually 2002. Uh, I got the Packers first round draft pick, who actually is now escaping me, uh, my name. But uh, <laughs> I won because I got their fourth round draft pick, who was a running back from Miami who played in the league with the Packers and the Steelers, running back slash fullback, who is infamous for shitting in his ex-girlfriend's closet in college. Name that running back. He was drafted in 2002? 2002. When I was six? There you go. I have no fucking idea. You don't, you've never heard this story? No. Najee Davenport. Really? Najee Davenport. He shit in his girlfriend's closet? I Why? picked him for the Packers to pick him that year. And he picked him in the fourth? Yeah. Javon wow. Walker in the first. That's who I got in the first. Nice. Man. Nice. Former Raiders legend. Yeah. My know your co-host question isn't from 2002. It is in middle school. I had, for my first day of school, a matching band tee to my matching Converse. What was the band on both? Oh, matching band tee to your matching Converse? Uh, I know you said you went to like a weird rock. I mean, that would have to be rock to have Converse. Uh, I'll say ACDC. Iron Maiden. Oh, no. It was bad, dude. It was bad. If you wanted to look at middle school, AG, it's a sad state of affairs. I feel like that's indicative of how your styles evolved to the day. Don't make fun of my style on camera, <laughs> Mike. This is... I don't know what this is. Uh, I'll tell you what. I might need to get another pair of those Converse. So those Iron Maiden Converse were fucking lit. High top? Okay. I see you. They might be coming back. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the episode. If you want to get on the mailbag episode or the trivia... Leave a message on PFF underscore tailgate. Follow us on Twitter. And you can also do it by rating and reviewing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leaving your question there. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, the producers, Mike Quinn, David Sofaro, Max Chadwick, Tailgate. Now joining the Tailgate podcast is current Kansas State running back and honestly one of the most electric players in all of college football, Deuce Vaughn. Deuce, great to have you on the show. I appreciate you having me, man. I'm excited. You are an absolute PFF darling. Every metric you look at, force miss tackle rate, yards after contact, catching passes out of the backfield, yards per run, you show up high in every single metric. One of the highest graded you know, um, running backs in the country so far this year, and, and deservedly so. I guess, how do you do it, man? You are not you know, the prototypical size of a Power 5 college football player. You've probably been overcoming that your entire you know, football career. I, I, I know it's a broad question, but I just don't know how you get it done. I, honestly, I, I I couldn't even tell you. I don't know how I get it done myself. Uh, it's just it's just football. I mean, I 
uh, it's just a sport that I love and I go out and play. I get to play every single day. I get to practice it. I get to watch film. I get to uh, do all these things, this process to go out here and play these games on Saturday and then just kind of cut it loose. And I, I can't take all the credit at all. I mean, I have a fantastic line, a fantastic quarterback, fantastic support system here with these coaches and everybody in this building. Uh, and just so many players around me that I've learned from and players, uh, that are older than me that I've learned from as well. And just kind of taking any type of knowledge I can to try and make myself a better football player every single day is something that I try and do. You know, tell some people some of the weight room numbers here. Five foot six, 173. That's what you're listed at right now. Is that where you're playing at right now? And also, what are you throwing around the weight room? Usually when you, you see these compact types, these Rondale Moore types are squatting like 800, 900 pounds. What are you throwing around the weight room? And I guess where are you currently playing at from a weight perspective? No doubt. So right now I'm playing at about the 173, 174 area. Uh, and that's really what I'm, what I feel best at. Uh, I feel like I'm still quick enough and uh, enough. I'm more power than last year than I had uh, to be able to run in between the tackles and uh, the weight room. And I, I love the weight room. I love the squat. I love the bench. I love to do all of that. So let's see. Well, it's, it's weird because of COVID last year, I never got to do any like max stuff, but let's see. So bench, like the 225, we did like a little, it was like an assessment. Uh, so I benched 225 for, I think 16 and they had to stop me. So like, <laughs> I feel like I could, I could have gone more. I feel like I could have gone more. I, I, I hit 16 and they had to stop me. Uh, and that was, that was a pretty big accomplishment because it felt really good as well. And then squatting, and here we do this metric where you squat pretty much as many times, kind of like a squat team drop. And I believe it was 475 or 495, and I hit 10. Gotcha. Uh, wow. So uh, it's one of those things where uh, I'd really love to see what my one rep max was, and we'll probably get into that stuff into the next offseason, everything without COVID and all that stuff to uh, keep us away from. But I'm really excited. I, man, I, it's something that I try to embrace ever since I was uh, young and whenever I figured out I was going to be a big big tall long guys and man at least i can do is bulk myself up to be able to withstand some hits and everything hell yeah man i mean i think it's kind of kind of smart for kansas state to stop yeah i've heard some bad injuries man about people trying to over rep at bench bruce gretkowski who is a analyst here at pff told a story about how you know he was trying to you know get aggressive in the weight room riled the people up and end up tearing his back at one point in his career so really? definitely being careful there is uh is super That's smart funny. um i want to talk a little bit more about chris Kleiman. he was one of my favorite coaches i've talked to this preseason and a guy that spoke so Sung your praises before the season. Obviously, has featured you in this offense. What impact has he had on you so far this season? And I guess how much has he, you know, kind of catered or aided your development? A whole bunch. Uh, ever since I got here, and whenever I was getting recruited by Coach Kleiman, the first thing he said is he's a player coach and he's going to be someone that's genuine from the start. And his door is always open, uh, and you can talk to him about anything. And that's been something that I've seen every single day since I've been here. Uh, he's building a culture here that's not only a family, but he's he's turning us into great men. And I'm so thankful for him, not only for my development in football, I learned so much about the game and uh, everything that I need to learn to help myself be successful in the field. But just about being a man uh, is something that I, I can't even put into words about how thankful I am for him and the entire coaching staff here uh, and the support system that they've built inside this building that we come into every day. And man, it's just so fortunate to have everybody in, in my corner, in our corner as players, uh, just great men, great fathers, great uh, mothers, great uh, wives, great husbands all over this place. And it's just, it's fantastic to see. And you have these people to fall back on it. It really helps you be a better person.
I know this offseason I was listening to one of the athletic podcasts did an interview with them, I think before the Oregon State game, and you talked about how in this offseason you had an opportunity to work with in Austin uh, some fantastic NFL players or future NFL talents, Jalen Ramsey, Jordan Law, J.C. Horn. How was that experience for you? And did you have any, you know, I think whenever you're working out with people who have that level of success in the NFL or I guess those guys who are going to get drafted, did you have any conversations with those guys that kind of, you know, really changed your opinion on anything or your process or how you're preparing for things? I guess speak to that experience and maybe the some of the conversations you had no doubt uh yes i was i was back home for a break uh throughout the summer and it was really really cool just to to be able to have the opportunity because they were they're working out at a facility about i think 15 30 minutes away from my house so i uh, got to go out there and got to catch balls from justin fields to sean watson wow uh, uh jordan love and things like that and got to uh run routes with uh t higgins uh deandre swift was out there kyle pitts and uh just these guys that you see on tv every single <laughs> sunday and you're like man that's that's where i want to be and then uh to look on the defense side of ball see buddha baker uh jc horn uh jalen ramsey all these guys uh, uh isaiah simmons was there as well just see these guys that were fantastic athletes fantastic uh just football players. But then after it was over, I got to go and talk to DeAndre Swift, who was somebody that I'd watched since he was at Georgia when he was a freshman. Uh, and just because I was like, man, the way that he runs the football, the agility, the looseness he has, and, uh, the speed that he plays was some, somebody that I want to try and learn from. I got to talk to him. And he kind of talked to me about the process of not only being in the NFL and how, how he attacks watching film, how he attacks uh, his workouts, how he attacks everything and tries to become a better player. But also he gave me some some pretty, pretty cool things about just handling everything. It was like, especially uh, once you get into that kind of spotlight, there's there's going to be people that you have to handle that spotlight in a, in a way that is beneficial to you, your teammates, and everybody in that building. And to be able to talk to him for just five to ten minutes and get a picture was, was really big time. We got to talk to Justin Fields as well. And he was somebody that uh, was really, really cool, really, really cool. And just be able to gain as much knowledge from those guys who were doing it at the highest level. That's, you I mean, you want to go and play in the NFL, uh, you, the blueprint's going to be those guys that are doing it right now. So to be able to talk to those guys and kind of grasp as much knowledge as I could was a really, really, really beneficial thing. That's awesome to hear that about the conversation you had with DeAndre Swift. I think that's something that I'm, you know, talking to, you know, players and prospects more about. I was talking to Aiden Hutchinson, the Michigan Edge defender. He said, you know, you, you, it's, you can't block out, you know, Twitter. You can't block out the internet sometimes. You know, people who say they don't look at that stuff are probably lying. It's, you have to learn how to deal with it and handle it and right. work with it and stuff. So I'm sure that was very, you know, engaging. Um, Good feedback from Swift. Um, you know, focusing more on this season, I know you guys are, you know, battling with Skylar Thompson, her, it's been something this offense had to adjust to. How has the team kind of rallied around, um, you know, this change in offense and I guess, um, you know, worked with Skylar Thompson, obviously tried to get back from injury. Right. Um, it's been one of those things that when Coach Kleiman said that we're all going to have to rise up uh, as a football team. And I feel like we've been taking on that challenge every single day. And it's something that uh, is really, really, really cool to see because nobody's back down. Uh, every single day at practice, we're competing amongst ourselves and we're competing, getting ready for the next game, the next Saturday. Uh, and every single day, we're just going out there and making sure that we're doing everything we can to be able to put ourselves in successful uh, situations on, on that game day. And, I mean, Skylar Thompson, even though he's battling his injury, he's getting back, he hasn't been away from the team. He's always out at practice. He's uh, making sure that we're watching film. He's watching film with it. He's breaking, his, he's breaking it down. He's getting ready as if he's playing. It's one of those things that, like, that's what a leader is. And to have him 
on this team, even though he may not be suited up. He may not be uh, uh, going. He may not be playing. He's somebody that brings so much value so much value to this team because man he, he's our leader and he has not stepped down from that role uh even though uh the unfortunate uh injury happened that's fantastic to hear man i'm sure he's still prepping too regardless of whether or not he's playing for this oklahoma game a big game for kansas state one that i'm sure you've already done a handful of preparation for walk me through what you've already looked at on film and i guess your early impressions in your impression uh in your preparation for oklahoma 100%. So I usually start watching film on Sunday. So I've gotten uh, gotten two days in. Man, I watch a whole bunch between those two days. It's usually uh, opening stuff. And, man, they they have a fantastic defense. They fly around to the football. They, they're they fast. They call themselves Speed D, and they they own up to that name because every single time they're athletic, long, fast. And uh, just the way that they play together is pretty, it's pretty cool to see. And uh, there's going to be a really, really big challenge for us this weekend. And, uh, man, one thing they also have a whole bunch of experience. Uh, you looked at uh, their D, their 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 D line, their front seven, really their front six that they like to play with uh, is really, really, really experienced, uh, and they have some really good guys uh, on there. And they have some new guys in their secondary that have come in and they may be young, but they 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 play football really tenaciously and they they fly around just like their defense should. And they have their two safeties who are uh, back from last year uh, as well, and so there's more experience in that back end. So uh, it's going to be really, really, really. Uh, challenging game for us but something we're going to prepare for and our preparations can help us be successful on Saturday. I'm glad you brought up speed, man. I mean, that defense plays fast at all three levels. It's something that I think every defense, you know, every offense that goes against them has to deal with for sure. I'm glad you're already looking at that. One more question for you, and I'll let you go. Really appreciate the time. You know, what what are your goals for the rest of this season? I know, you know, a lot of you know a lot of players we want to go one to know every week. We've got to win, you know, all these things. But what are your goals specifically catered to you? And if you don't have those, what are your team goals? Or what are you guys hoping to accomplish this year? Absolutely. So, of course, the team goes to go one and zero every single week, and uh, what we say is go one and zero every day. Uh, so today at practice, whenever we go out there, we got to be one and zero. Got to be one and zero. Got to be one and zero. Those the twenty one periods that we have today, uh, our walkthroughs, our meetings, we have to be one and zero in everything because the way you do everything, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So we have to go out there and we have to attack that. And then personally, I mean, really, I'm just trying to become the best football player and the best teammate and best leader I can be every single every single day uh the stats stats are something that i really feed into their stats are going to be there at the end of the day but uh if i can become a better teammate a better a better leader and a better player every single day everything else will take care of itself and uh, that's really all i'm worried about right now fantastic stuff dudes one and oh in this interview really appreciate the time and i wish you the best of luck the rest of the season thank you so much i appreciate you having me now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current USC wide receiver Drake London. Drake, it is so great to have you on the show because i got to be honest, when I had Coach Clay Hilton on this show before the season, there wasn't a single player he brought up in a more positive light than yourself compared to you to Mike Evans, said you were the next big thing in college football. And I'm, I'm not surprised at the success you've had to start this season. It's really great to have you on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You know, so much of the focus when I talked to him preseason was about this change in role for you. You know, going from this kind of big slot to playing more on the outside. You're running way more routes on the outside this year than you have been in previous years. And obviously, it's been panning out. You lead the FBS in receiving yards so far this year and have been wildly successful on the outside. I think you also lead the country in contested catches so far this year. Let's talk more about, you know, this transition and all that went into that. Maybe starting with the preseason or the offseason, you know, what work did you specifically do to kind of improve in that area or I guess prepare for this kind of change in role at USC? Um, you know, well, first off, 
I made that hard decision of, of dropping basketball and trying to focus on football. So that was a big thing. And uh, I give all credit to uh, Coach KC, um, Kerry Colbert. Uh, he he helped me a lot. You know, we went over the fundamentals, and he, he's a, a type of coach that hounds the uh, fundamentals on, on our guys and uh, makes sure that we're, we're completely sound in those areas. So, you know, just, just getting more comfortable being back out there because uh, when I was uh, in high school, I, I did play just outside. I never played the slot until I got to SC. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, just getting comfortable with it again and um, getting my feel for it. So that's, that's pretty much what I did during the offseason. To pry a little bit there, how much do you think the fundamentals have changed going from the slot to the outside? Obviously, seeing a higher percentage of um, press coverage, also going against some bigger corners. You know, what fundamentals specifically do you feel have changed? Uh, you know, just uh, release, um, getting good with hand fights and stuff like that. Because, you know, at the uh, college level, it's much more physical than high school. So um, I had to get adjusted to that. Uh, but overall, I think the uh, – the transition over back to it is, is been, been pretty seamlessly. So, you know. Have you had a lot of opportunity to maybe even turn on NFL tape and watch some outside receivers in the NFL to work your releases? I know a lot of other college receivers will do that. Yes. Um, I love watching the uh, Durante Adams, um, just his footwork and, and how he creates space is, is like, it's just different. And then also, uh, um, my guy, Mike Evans, uh, who I try to like model my game after a lot. I watch a lot, uh, him a lot, top of the route, um, press coverage, all that. So um, those are the two main guys that I, that I watch. I think something else that's impressive about your game too, in addition to the contested catchability, the size, and what you're able to do with that size, is honestly what you do after the catch. 11 broken tackles this season, that's the second most in the Power 5 according to PFS charting, and that I think speaks to what you can do with the ball in your hands and how big of a body you are and how hard you are to tackle. How much of your focus is on making plays after the catch and being more than just a guy you know, that catches and gets tackled on contact? Uh, I think it's all the mindset and the uh... Once you got the ball in your hand, you, you know, you try to go score. And that's my whole mindset. So whenever the ball is in my hand and I have an opportunity to go run, I mean, I think that's the best part of, of football is just running away from people or, or trying to run through somebody. So, um, yeah, I mean, once the ball's in my hand, I try to just go get into the zone. You've obviously had a unique opportunity to work with one of the top quarterbacks in the country, and Caden Slovis, a guy that's wildly talented, wildly accurate. How would you say your relationship with him has developed from last year to this season, even over the course of the first few games? Uh, it's been pretty amazing, you know. Uh, when I broke the news to him that I'm going to be full-time football, you know, we just uh, we went out there and, and we were basically throwing every day of summer, uh, all of off-season. We was out there with other guys just – just getting our um, chemistry down and, and where the ball needs to be placed or how I need to run my routes. So our, our relationship has built uh, has been built a lot uh, this offseason. Turn back the clocks a little bit. I know you've brought it up a handful of times, but when, I guess, did you make that you know official decision to you know move away from basketball and fully commit to football? And I guess what all went into that decision? Um, I think I made the decision uh, right after uh, football season ended, the uh, COVID season. Um, I sat down with my parents and I had the discussion because uh, I always I always look at it this way. You you can never go back to uh, organized football. You can always go back to some sort of organized basketball when you're older. Um, so, and the way things were going, uh, you know, I had to take my opportunity and kind of just run with it. So that that's what went into that decision. 
I've unfortunately not had a lot of opportunity to watch some Drake London highlights on the basketball court. Can I get a description of your game here? You're three, three and D type of guy, or what are we talking? Uh, you know, uh, I like to say back in my prime, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, a. Uh, I, I could shoot the three point pretty, pretty good. Uh, if you had your hand down, I, I would let it fly, but I was mostly a slasher. Try to get to the rim. Um, you know, get big dunks in transition and uh, just be up on on defense and get a stop. So that that was my game. Focusing more on this season, only a few more questions before I let you go. I really appreciate the time. Obviously, you have this transition from Clay Hilton to Dante Williams. How has the team reacted to this transition? I guess how has morale been affected and how are you guys like keeping energy up as as the season progresses after a two and two start? Um, You know, we have so much faith in, in Coach Dante as a coach. Um, and he's also a players coach, so uh, the transition has been has been pretty smooth, uh, you know. But I think we just got to do what's best for all of us and, and keep on leaning on each other's backs because we're all we have right now. Uh, there's a lot of outside noise, uh, regardless of, of what happens, uh, whether we win or lose. So we just have to keep on leaning on each other's backs and and, and have each other's backs at this point. As you're preparing for game this upcoming week and games this season, I love asking players about kind of their preparation process and what they you know, what they look for when they turn on the film and how important that part of the kind of game week preparation process is for them. I guess to ask you, when you turn on film for an opposing quarterback, a guy you know you're going to go up against, you know, 30, 40 routes, what are you looking for the most or what keys are you looking for to kind of, you know, add to your game before, uh, before obviously kick? Um, you know... I, I think I look at um, how they're doing in the middle of the game, uh, what their tendencies are when they're tired and uh, and how I can attack them from there. Uh, and that's pretty much it. But other than that, I'd probably say uh, what's their press press jam uh, technique like. And, um, yeah, just how they play when they're tired pretty much. That's what I really look for because if, if they're broken down, then I can go and attack those weaknesses. Last one for you here, and I'll let you go. Appreciate the time. You know, what are your goals for the rest of this season as you look out to kind of set some goals and what you want to accomplish at USC to finish out this year? What what what's comes top of mind? You know, I'm I'm just focused on going one to know each week. I don't really have any set goals personally myself. You know, I just go out there and try to play and try to win some games. I think those are phenomenal goals, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Drake. Appreciate the time and best of luck the rest of the season. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Now joining the Tailgate Podcast is current Stanford quarterback Tanner McKee. Tanner, great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I got to be honest, man. I have a podcast co-host here. His name is Mike Renner. He does the draft stuff here. He's the senior or lead draft analyst at PFF. And he said randomly, he's like, dude, have you watched this kid, Tanner McKee? And we watched your t- his tape back to your, your tape back to back to back, the all 22 here in the office and, you know, rocking it up draft boards, rocking it up in our eyes, you know, seeing what you've done so far this year. And we've gotten into your background a little bit and I don't think enough people know you you know you went on this mission trip for two years this is technically your sophomore season at, at Stanford T- tell the people more about you know your start at Stanford former four-star recruit and then you know, all, you know um, I guess why you originally picked Stanford over the other offers you had yeah so uh, I graduated in 2018 um, I lived two years in Brazil serving a mission for my church um, I was in the southern part of Brazil in Curitiba um, for me, Stanford was just a perfect fit. Um, I thought it was a great balance um, of academics and athletics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of other schools that were great, um, but for me, I just thought Stanford was a better fit for 
um, what kind of offense they run. I love the coaches, the players, obviously the academic side and outside of football. Um, overall, I just thought it was I just thought it was the best fit. So you were already living in Brazil when you made the decision to do the mission trip, or how does that work? Yeah, so um, once you decide to serve a mission, you basically send uh, your papers to the leaders of the church. They send you a letter back um, saying you are now going to serve in this place. And so it really could be anywhere in the world. So uh, I was pretty excited to um, get the chance to be in Brazil. I've, I've never, I was never there before. Um, I didn't speak the language. I didn't speak Portuguese before, but I had to learn when I was there. And it was overall just a great experience for me. How good is your Portuguese now? It's pretty good. Uh, I tested out of Portuguese here at Stanford, but I try to keep uh, doing classes just to keep up the language skills. That's fantastic, man. How much football did you play in Brazil? There's not a lot of American football going down there. Did you have a lot of opportunities to play? Yeah, not much. Um, I try to do what I could. Uh, in the morning, I had bands or try to go run, try to stay in shape a little bit. Um, obviously, football was not very big down there. Um, so I try to do what I could. I brought a football with me and try to play catch with some some locals there. I actually found a semi-pro team in uh, Curitiba when I was there. Wow. Um, I actually had a practice with them, which was really cool. But that was pretty much just one day where I went out and was actually with a team and, and things like that. How much were you in communication with Stanford and Shaw and learning this playbook in that time? Or did you not have a ton of time to really dive into that stuff? Um, not really having a ton of time. Uh, Coach Shaw was great, kind of letting me focus on my mission while I was there, while I was in Brazil. And then um, be 100% focused when I get back. Um, so uh, towards the end of my mission, um, I did get a playbook and I was studying a little bit of the plays. But for the most part, I was kind of focused on what I was doing there and helping helping people while I was in Brazil. And so when did you officially touch down in the States? And I guess how long have you been you know, practicing with these, you know, with these teammates here at Stanford? So I left, I think, June 2018. Um, came back March, 2021. Usually you serve 24 months. Um, I served 21 because of COVID. So I came back a couple months early, um, and then just started getting ready for season getting ready for school again. Um, obviously it's pretty weird coming back, not playing football for so long. Um, I lost a little bit of weight. So trying to get my weight back, uh, I lost about 20, 25 pounds, um, getting that weight back, getting my throat, my arm in throwing shape again. Um, getting ready to take classes again. So it's a, it's a big transition, but um, Stanford was great. Coach Shaw was awesome. Um, so they really helped me along that transition. So, so where are you weighing in at right now? I think you're listed on the side of what, six foot six, 230? Are you right in that range right now? Yeah, I'm about 225 right now. What's, in, what's insane to me is that you've taken all this time off, you know, obviously prioritizing what sounds like an awesome trip to Brazil. You come back March 2021, have to pick up everything again, including like working out regularly. And you're already having all of the success at Stanford. I guess, what do you attribute that to? How much of it has been just fully immersing yourself in it? How much of it has been Shaw or these teammates? What, I guess, what do you all attribute all that to? Yeah, um, I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, obviously, it's a lot of hard work coming back when you're when you're not in shape, um, trying to gain weight, get ready for season. Um, Coach Shaw was great. Coach Devita helped me learn the playbook, um, just step by step, regaining focus and things like that. Um, Coach, I, I feel like I learned a lot of things on my mission about maturity and time management and things like that. So I was able to apply those things that I learned in Brazil into my life here, and so that obviously helped as well. So I just feel like a little bit of everything. 
Gotcha, man. And so looking ahead to this season or the the rest of this season, what are your current, you know, kind of game week, what's your current game week preparation like? Because that's another component of you coming back from Brazil that kind of had to be added a bit on the fly going back into this in-game game week preparation. You know, when are you first turning on the film? And I guess what are you looking for on film and in the practice week leading up to games right now? Yeah, um, so we do a lot of a lot of mental preparation, um, obviously a lot of film work, kind of some tendencies, um, percentages of when they bring blitzes or what coverages they do, how they disguise things. Um, so just tendencies that defenses have, um, whether that's tilt or um, different positions that the DB is in or what kind of pressures they run out of certain fronts, things like that. Um, but Coach Shaw, Coach Tavita, they do a great job of preparing us for that throughout the, throughout the whole week. Um, we have our our scout players that are running um, the opponent's defense. So when we get out on Saturday, it's not the first time we've seen that look. We've seen it throughout throughout the week um, and everything looks recognizable and we can identify the fronts and make our right calls. Obviously, you have a monster game this week, taking on number three, Oregon, at home. What have, what are your early impressions of turning on that tape of this team? I mean, I'm, I'm super excited. Obviously, it's a major opportunity for me and the team um, Oregon's a really good football team. We're going to have to play our best. Um, we came back from a great learning experience, I think, from last week at UCLA. Um, obviously not one of our best games, but so many things that we can learn from. And I think if we take those things, learn from them, and grow this week, we'll have a dominant performance on Saturday for sure. I, I wish I mentioned this earlier, but I talked to David Shaw in the preseason. He talked a lot about you know how much he's excited about this next step after Davis Mills and how Stanford, this program is moving forward. What's your relationship with Shaw? And I guess, how has that developed over the course of this season? Yeah, Coach Shaw, he's, he's awesome. Um, honestly, one of the, I guess, an experience that I had with him that kind of describes who he is. Um, when I first came back from my mission, about two days later, Coach Shaw, he called me and he was like, we were talking about things that I learned um, in Brazil, how I matured and things like that. And he was just like, make sure that all these things that you learn that you share with them, with the team, um, so they can um, grow just as, just as you did and things like that. So he's, he's obviously a great coach, um, a great person, helps us become uh, better leaders, better men, better husbands in the future and things like that um and so he's he's obviously an awesome coach but a really awesome person as well i mean such a player's coach that is awesome to hear that he's you know you know having those conversations with you two days removed from brazil uh last one for you and i'll let you go i really appreciate the time you know you obviously have oregon this week but in terms of long-term goals for the rest of the season what are you individually you know putting on your you know proverbial you know board to as goals and what are you what is the team goals what's the energy right now for this team what are you guys looking to accomplish to finish out this season um, I think we're just trying to get one week better each week, um, use each week as a learning opportunity, um, learn from the good plays, learn from the bad plays, things like that. There's when you watch the film, there's so many things that we can learn and improve on just being on the same page, uh, working on our team chemistry and things like that. Um, I feel like we can grow as a team and become a very dominant team. Want to know every week. I love it. It's my, one of my favorite expressions in college football. I think a lot of people, you know, rally around that. Tanner, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate the time. I really appreciate you diving into the background a bit. I think more people need to know Tanner McKee. Thanks again, and uh, best of luck the rest of the season. Thank you so much.